inch by inch, row by row, gonna make this garden grow. All it takes is a rake and a hoe and a piece of fertile ground. Inch by inch, row by row, someone bless these seeds I sow. Someone warm them from below till the rain comes tumbling down. It is time for In the Garden with Peter Burke. Our program today is brought to you by the Willie Store, family-owned since 1900 in Greensboro. By Polly Construction on Gregory Drive in South Burlington, where one call does it all. By Montpelier Agway, your locally-owned Montpelier Agway on East Montpelier Road. By Menard's family-owned True Value Store, Brooklyn Street in Morrisville. By Clausen's Florist Greenhouse and Perennial Farm in Colchester. Top quality Vermont-grown plants since 1972. By V's Flowers and Garden Shop. Flowers, hanging baskets, annuals, house plants, potting supplies, and more in Waitsfield. Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. Vermont's largest independent home center. Online, sticksandstuff.com. Store locations, hours, and their many specials. By PR Lumber, Route 15 in Walcott, featuring family milled lumber for all your many projects. PR Lumber, find them on Facebook as well. By Guy's Farm and Yard, with four locations to serve you. If it eats and grows, Guy's can feed it. Guy'sFarmandYard.com, online. By Dandelion Acres Garden Center in Bethel. Find them online at dandelionacres.com. Dandelion Acres sponsoring the In the Garden podcast. And right now, here is the host of In the Garden, Peter Burke. Hey, Joel. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. (laughs) Uh, And yourself? Okay, yeah, I think so. Yeah, beautiful out there. It was a little uh, a little foggy this morning. Uh, was that for you too? Is that that way? Well, it's so my it's always foggy between my <laughs> eye my between my ears. Yeah, um, not that I noticed. I was out there. I was out there with the canine in the woods. So, well, yeah. yeah, it's always a little strange well, out there. Uh, Jack and I both come. Uh, uh, come through Montpelier, and it was definitely foggy along the way, along the river anyway. Uh, just sort of your typical uh, fall weather, and I guess we are um, not official yet, but it's it's heading that way. A few leaves have churned up our way. How about you? You got anything? Yeah, I noticed a few. I'm trying to ignore them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, why not? Yeah. It, it, well, it's, it, it's interesting because uh, I, I had always thought that it was a matter of the cold weather, mm-hmm. you know, but it's actually the daylight hours. And uh, that's an interesting thing is that the seeds will grow if you have 10 hours of daylight. But after 10 hours of daylight, then they'll stop growing no matter even if they're cold hardy or whatever. So it has more to do with the daylight hours than it does the, the actual cold, hot and cold. You know, if I'm looking at the long term, a couple of trees that I kind of let grow in my backyard mm-hmm. around my garden mm-hmm. are now so big that they block daylight from good <laughs> portions of the back backyard. If I were really interested in having the the full expanse of the garden, You'd have I'd, to. I'd, I'd have to call in a tree person because it's mm-hmm. way too big for you mm-hmm. know average mm-hmm. person to. Yeah, but uh, my bet is you won't. <laughs> No, I won't. I'm just going <laughs> to let the birds and the squirrels have their habitat. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so I should ask you what you're planting for the squirrels and the birds these days. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I go out there, and uh, they're so tame, they come up to me asking for food. I'm not kidding. I've yeah. had chickadees land on my shoulder. It's like Mary Poppins out there, you know, except I don't look much like Mary Poppins. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. Blue Bird on your shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, I I had some time off last week, and uh, we stayed at a house right on Curtis Pond uh, out in Callis, and mm-hmm. um, they had those uh, hummingbird feeders. Oh, yes, we have and, those, yeah. And uh, I was surprised that there was as many bumblebees there on the hummingbird feeder as there were hummingbirds. Yeah, I put out, I, I put out, well, let's see, am I still, okay, 
levels today. Mm-hmm. I, I put out a whole bunch of the tiny little hummingbird feeders, so everybody, mm-hmm. hummingbird feeders, so mm-hmm. that even the bumblebees mm-hmm. can go to some of them. But there's the hummingbirds. If you just have one or two little feeders out there, the bumblebees take over. Uh, yeah. Uh. Well, these are uh, these were well. I recognize them as actual honeybees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and uh, I knew that right, just right next door. There's a fellow uh, Franklin who has uh, quite a few, you know, uh, uh, honeybees. Mm-hmm. You know. I guess I can so, tell the difference. I think mine are bumblebees. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can tell. Yeah. yeah. They're big yellow. And of course they, they, uh, <laughs> you get the wasps too, the yeah. yellow jackets and all that stuff. But, uh, anyway, this time of year, it's, it is, uh, where a lot of us are thinking, well, gardening is over. Of course, there are plenty of things that you can grow and still harvest between now and, um, now and the uh, hard frost, uh, which should be sometime, oh, um, you know, October 1st anyway. But I was looking at my notes from last year. It was September 22 was was our Saturday show. And, uh, oh, uh, which reminds me, uh, th- the next week is the last show on the 17th. Uh, because the 24th, there's a uh, early Red Sox game. So, Noontime, yeah. yeah Noontime so, start. So we were going to go through the 24th, but uh, we we were getting bumped off by the Red Sox. And um, but anyway, this was September 22nd, and uh, uh, my notes said that um, uh, it said yes, you heard it right. Chance of frost Sunday night, Monday morning, right from the weatherman wow. Roger, Rogers, and that was on the 22nd. <laughs> so uh, I, I just have to say that you know probably the last frost will be you know, September 31st, October 1st. But, um, you know, it, uh, probably next week you want to start thinking about bringing all those tomatoes in and packing them up. And, uh, whatever else, you know, whatever the peppers and the basil and, and all of those things. If you haven't gone ahead and harvested them, then, then it would be time to, to do that. <clears throat> and, um, but the, the things that will grow and this, this uh, thinking about it generated a question in my mind. Uh, how much lettuce do you, you figure you need for a week? Oh, my goodness. Um, a head of lettuce or yeah, a bag I, of lettuce? Uh, or, well, I, yeah, I would say a head. I always, I like, I love the iceberg lettuce, so yeah, I, that'll yeah. take me a week, yeah. yeah. Something about like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> so as you're planting, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, you need to sort of think about, well, how much of this do I need over the course of uh, a few weeks? You know, rather than trying to uh, plant a whole big bunch of lettuce all at once, you really want to um, you want to think it through. Is how much um, how much lettuce in this sense? Uh, and this is just an example of one thing. How much lettuce are you going to plant for you know? For yourself. So if you plant a, a 25 foot row of lettuce, your package just says, you know, this is enough to plant a 25 foot row of lettuce. You're going to have too much and then too little, you know. So what you want to do is you want to plant. And this is why I like the square foot and the grid planting is you can plant one, one grid or two grids, you know, of in a, uh, um, a square foot you plant. Four lettuce, you know, four lettuce or one of the big, uh, um, you know, iceberg lettuces. But so, you, you know, you would only plant a few. And uh, so so right now, you know, it's uh, it's the beginning of September and the lettuce will survive a, a light frost right through October. So what you really want to do is is uh, uh, plant enough lettuce for those eight weeks, you know. So it, it, it would just be two square feet of, of lettuce and eight seeds, or if you do two in each one, it would be 16 seeds. And so th- the point is that it doesn't take a lot in order to fill the need. You know, it's uh, – and this is sort of the um, – 
the wonderful part about being a gardener and not a farmer. You're not trying to go for a crop. You're just trying to to have an, uh, just enough, in a sense, uh, to to get you through to the next, you know, the next planting. And, uh, you know, when you start to think in terms of two square feet and eight heads of lettuce and that gets you through to November, you know, it's it's a it's sort of a different point of view um, than the, you know, farmer's point of view when you're planting for a crop and you want to get as much all at once. So um, as you're thinking about the things you can plant now, the lettuces, arugula, you know, all those different things, even some beets or beet greens, um, you know, think in terms of really how much do I need over the course? And so this is a little different than than uh, planting a garden for, you know, for storage, for for the fall harvest to keep you through till the next garden season. So a little, little different point there. But going back to uh, uh, today, you know, there's a you want to make sure you're getting all of those uh, uh, all of those uh, uh, tender tender plants. You know, your tomatoes, your basil, your peppers, your eggplants, all those things. You want to harvest them over this next week and and get them taken care of um, however you're going to use them. And then uh, at that point, you know, your squashes, your winter squashes, those will all take a, um, a light frost. So you don't need to worry about those too much now. But your squash like zucchini and yellow squash, um, you know, your summer squash, those you'll need to, to harvest, you know, over this next week. So uh, finish those up, pull out the plants, go ahead and put them in the compost pile. Uh, and as you're pulling them out, uh, take a look at the bottom of the leaves and see if you see any, any, uh, um, any eggs, you know, that, uh, of different beetles and bugs and stuff that, that will, um, rather than compost those, you want to just take a look and, and, uh, you know, rub them off with your thumb or so you're killing them and, and help yourself for next year. And so as you're pulling those things up, just turn them over, look at the bottom of the leaves, check them out, then chop them up and put them in the compost pile. So <clears throat> now we're thinking about the compost pile. You know, I have um, I have five different compost bins that we use throughout the year. I usually put uh, at least one or two in a four by four box, just so that as it decomposes, it's also, you know, it's really, you know. Uh, decomposing right there in the box where it is. And um, I use the, you know, the black plastic ones. Uh, I, I like uh, I like one that has, that's uh, about oh, maybe 30 inches square, maybe even a little bit larger than that, but no bigger. Um, I got one recently that had, you know, two, two doors. They're sort of like wings, so they open up one side and one on the other. And that did not work well. Um, it was, uh, you know, it, it wasn't cheap by any means. Um, the sides are fine. It stays together just fine, but the top, uh, just flew off. So you want to make sure that if, you know, if it's not tight down that you actually go ahead and, and use a little duct tape and tape it right down so that, you know, it doesn't fly around in the wind because we'll have lots of wind between now and November. So you want to keep that, uh, you want to keep that lid down. So as you're making your compost, which you, you want to take a, a knife or a machete or some, some sharp blade. And, uh, and sometimes uh, my wife will even use the lawnmower to run over the greens and, you know, chop it all up. And the more you chop it up, the, the easier it is to, to compost, the quicker it composts, it increases the, you know, the area um, on each one of the little pieces of green, and so, um, uh, so that, you know, as you're chopping up those green things, you want to put those in and maybe a one or two or three inch layer, and then on top of that, you want to put your browns. Those are your greens. Then you put your browns, and that's like straw or or the fall leaves or whatever. Um, hey, Joel, do we have a call? 
I do believe it's Linda in Brookfield. Oh, Linda. Hey. Um, yeah, hey, Linda, are you there? I'm here. Hi. Can you hear me? I can, I can hear you just fine. Um, I'm going to turn my radio off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'll make life simpler. Sure. Um, while you're talking about uh, pulling vines and doing stuff like that, yeah. um, I've had a really challenging year with varmints, ending with um, finding, amazingly enough, a tomato hornworm, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, <clears throat> on my lawn, not on my tomato plant. <laughs> well, and yes. I'm, I've got a question about that. And then the other thing I found was, um, in a particular variety of my winter squash, the kaboka. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, something had been eating it, and when I picked them to salvage what I could from them, I found what I. I'm pretty sure I identified as a squash vine borer. Oh yeah, it was it in the vine itself? No, it was actually in the pump in the squash. Oh, oh really? That's unusual yeah. that they bore right into the squash. And so I was, I'm like, when I did a little research, what I discovered was that they actually overwinter in the soil. Mm-hmm. That's right. And so, I guess my questions are. Is there anything you can do preventively? As I say, at the moment, I don't have them in my tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. crazy to find one on the lawn near my porch. But <laughs> um, Was it the caterpillar? You actually saw the, the, the little the horn, t- the tomato horn. horn. Okay. Yeah, because right. I looked at it, and I'm like, oh, that's a fascinating-looking thing. Absolutely. And, and until some I of the did markings, research. Yeah, and it had those big horns and everything, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty, pretty certain that's what it is. It mm-hmm. had the, you know, the black tail and. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, the only thing uh, to look up is, uh, you know, is it a, is a fairly large caterpillar like the size oh, of the yeah. thumb? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, large, uh, smooth, the... green with sort of flashy uh-huh. black and white. Black and white. Well. Uh, Marking. Look, look up the the um, monarch caterpillar because oh, it's uh, not a monarch. I know sure? those okay. well. All right, good, good. Uh, they have. I'm a simi- all over those. They have a, <laughs> a similarity that, that uh, not not a similarity in my mind. Okay, yeah, yeah. Certainly no horns. That's for sure. Right. Well, no, they're, okay, they're, so the they're, tom- they're definitely definitely very very different. Yeah, smaller for sure. I, I know the only one I think that might be a little confusing might be the Luna Moth mm-hmm, one, right. but yeah. Well, so the tomato hornworm, tomato, in fact, is its favorite food, uh, right? But like any, you know, any critter, it's an opportunist, and if it's it's an it, opportunist, yeah, it's going. I'm to, having a little trouble hearing you, but it's going to eat whatever it can find. Right. So if you found it in your yard, maybe it fell or it had just molted or something. It hadn't found the tomatoes yet. And, right. And but uh, have you and on your regular tomato plants, you don't see any of the hornworm. None. Yet? Good. Good. No. Well, um, I mean, so far so good. I guess that's what I can say. Yeah, it's definitely the season, so they will be coming out. And uh, towards the end of the season, for sure. But um, they'll be coming out, and they'll they'll uh, you know it's not just like one blossom of, of the tomato hornworms. They'll come in succession um, yeah, over a few looking. weeks. Yeah. So you want to keep looking. And uh, did you hear? Uh, uh, Sand- those, I heard you, sandals. You, yeah. Right. So that's yeah. something you could check. And out. I thought, oh, I don't need to get one of those. I've never <laughs> had them. <laughs> Isn't that amazing how that happens? Yeah, really, exactly. Now, on your uh, kabuka squash, uh, it, it, so you can still um, take that, cut it open, you know, peel it, and and freeze it, you know. Right. Oh, yeah. I have it. no problem okay. with using the squashes. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah. Yeah. All what right, my good. what my question is because they seem to overwinter in the soil. Mm-hmm. Is there anything I can do for the soil so that I don't have that problem again next year? Absolutely. Um, so there's a couple of things you can do. You can uh, first, of course, is to just rake your soil 
It doesn't have to be deep or anything like that. But what that does is just sort of you, rake well, it. Rake it. Yeah. We just want to break the cycle, and the eggs are in the soil. So okay. if you rake a few inches deep, you're more than likely you're going to rake up those or disturb or or kill the okay you know, kill them in the soil. That's one. Two is you can put a piece of black plastic on it and heat it up, and that'll kill them as well. Oh, and then, okay. And then three, you want to make sure that in the spring, you know, uh, you put something down around, uh, you know, some sort of a mulch around the bush, um, and that'll help prevent them or at least. What kind uh, of a mulch? Um, I like straw myself. I, th- I okay. think straw is, is because it's uh, basically weed free. Um, if you have leaves, leaves are fine. But uh, definitely not hay because hay just. So what will the mulch do? Uh, it'll just interfere, you know, with with them climbing up on the vines and stuff. So it's sort of a barrier in a way. And so would diatomaceous soil help with that too? Then do you think it can? Yeah, a lot of people recommend the diatomaceous earth because it's uh, supposedly the thought is is that it's it's sharp mm-hmm. for them and it sort of tears them up a little bit. Um, you know, what's the evidence? I don't really know. I, you know, right. it's not like you can see it happening, but it does seem to work. And then, of course, the last thing is, is as the season begins, watch for them. And the okay. first time you see one, you know, there's sort of a black and yellow and, and a couple of different stripes that they have. Well, this one was white with a dark head. And when I researched it, it almost kind of looked like a grub. It, that's in that stage. It is a grub. Oh, okay. But you know, in the early spring, it looks like a little beetle. And okay. And oh, so, oh, oh! It has so, that. It has that winged look. Yes. They're shape, shapeshifters. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah all yeah, of the yeah. bugs that we deal with are, are shapeshifters. They'll look right. like yeah. one thing. You know, it's just like uh, in the early spring, the uh, stink bug looks a lot like a ladybug. You know. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> <Yeah>. Interesting. <laughs> so uh, they're shapeshifters. But, yeah, when that uh, squash bug gets into the plant and and gets into that caterpillar stage or grub stage, like you say, it's sort of a, oof, right. a slimy gray-looking thing, sluggy sort of thing. But anyway, yeah, um, that uh, – that's what we're going to. What we're trying to do is break that cycle. Exactly. That's what I was trying to figure out. My right. thought. Oh, I'll have to right. see what he says. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So all of those things will work. And if you have, like I said, a big infestation, uh, of course, you know, uh, solarizing the soil where you know you're going to plant it. And of course, the last thing is is the first thing is you want to make sure you rotate your r- rotate your crops. Right. So um, I know it's, uh, and I see a lot of people do it. They have sort of like their squash bed, and that's what they use, you know, year after year. And, and you know, it's not a good idea. I understand. I understand the reasoning behind it, but um, you know, that means well, you have I have to be done that villager. to some degree. I yeah. I move things around a bit, but mm-hmm. um, I. Up till now, knock on wood, I've just been really fortunate not yeah. to have any of these things. That's right. And and that works fine. You know, when yeah. you see the problem, it's time to start moving things around. Right. So, you okay. know, take your squash and put it over where the potatoes are and take your potatoes and plant yeah. where the squash were. And, you know, the, it's um, – and that's basic, uh, that's basic maintenance in any garden is rotating stuff. Okay. You know, it's less important with a small garden, but when it becomes a problem, then you have an infestation like you have, then it's time to to act, do something. Yeah, it's interesting because it seems to only be affecting that particular plant. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, which well, I think, which I don't. I it's the first time I've tried growing kabocas, so yeah. Yeah. I'm like, My are they is, particularly susceptible or something? Or um, I actually don't know. And, and I grew them from seed, so it's not like I got plants from someone from else. From someone else, yeah, right. They didn't come in on a yeah, yeah. Well, those. So your your thinking is right. You know, I would uh, just uh, work on that to break in the cycle, move okay. them around. You know, and even just so that um, you know, go ahead and do the other things, even if you do plan to move them. Okay. Okay. Super. Um, are there any 
Are there any things one can do about the tomato hornworm, like companion planting? Someone said basil. Yeah, you know, it, it it's. Uh, I've heard all those things, uh, you know, but, you know, probably the best thing is to just, uh, it, w- it would be more likely if those, if the oils and stuff were volatile. So, you know, taking like a, a garlic spray or even a fish fertilizer and, you know, doing the, the foliar spray is probably just as effective. But if Foliar you- spray? A foliage spray like a uh, sea kelp or in a fish combination or just one or the other. So it uh, what that does is it uh, changes the fragrance, the things that attract um, okay. those bugs to the the tomato, um, and that's what they're attracted to. Is it's the fragrance. So that's how basil might be. A, yeah, right. It's, or anything fragrant might yeah. be a deterrent. Right. So you could use a garlic. Or oh, you could interesting. Use a, so a garlic spray or yeah. anything that. Yep. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, it is, okay. isn't it? It's kind of it's, it's a little little biology in there or whatever you want to call it. But it is kind of neat just to. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about how. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that would be I found what this the on the basil, lawn near the porch. Well, you not know, when, near the tomatoes at all. <laughs> when you when you go uh, buy your basil, you know, plants, you can smell them. Particularly if you walk right. by and rub them a little bit, yeah. they, they yeah, yeah. you know, they give off that. And that's the same thing with the the mums. You know, when you put the right. mums or the marigolds, you know, in, you can smell the fragrance there and. Okay. So those things uh, seem to work well, uh, but you know you still got to keep your eye on it. Liz, well, was... we know tomato has quite the fragrance too. You come yeah, in after exactly. working with them in your hands. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Are green and have green, that smell. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. The, the green thumb, I guess. <laughs> I've probably worn out my welcome, but <laughs> no. I'm just realizing I have one more question. Okay, we, we just okay? have one other person on the line, so I think we're fine and. Okay, um, and that's that is. Um, I'm I'm fairly new to growing potatoes. Yeah. Um, harvesting them. When do I know what to do? Or once you see the vines start to uh, turn, you can start harvesting. Once they once start to they dry start up, to brown. Yeah. Yeah, you can harvest them then anytime uh, if you're in a real hurry, basically anytime after they flower for a couple of weeks. Oh, okay. And uh, and then on the same hand, you can you can harvest them right through, you know, right through the fall. Oh, okay. You know, there's nothing other than if you have a lot of chipmunks in you, you may be in competition with the chipmunks, so you you want to watch for that. I've caught about thirty of those this year. Oh, bless you. <laughs> They're on my varmint list. I, I know. <laughs> so much so that I got called the chipmunk whisperer. <laughs> I would say you were hollering at him. <laughs> Not whispering. <laughs> yeah, chipmunks do a lot, a lot of damage. I oh, it's do. remarkable. Uh, it's like yeah. they're so cute that you don't yep. suspect them. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> Walt Disney has has spoiled us all to think that mice and and uh, chipmunks are the cutest little things ever. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, as a gardener, you're thinking, I don't. I'm just like thinking, them. oh my God, you yeah. can eat a lot. <laughs> and you know, you can take comfort in knowing that you're actually only just sort of thinning the herd. You're certainly right. not doing much damage because they are around and will always be around. Oh, I, I'm, I'm. They're certainly not endangered. <laughs> All right, Linda. Well, nice chatting with you. Great. Thank you so much you're for great welcome. suggestions. Yeah, Thanks, Peter. Enjoy you. your show. Yeah. Well, Thanks. Thank you. I appreciate Bye. that. And we have, uh, oh, uh, Joel says we need to take a break, and then when we come back, we'll get uh, Terry and we'll get Wendy. Dandelion Acres is a beautiful garden center in central Vermont where you can find gorgeous flowering hanging baskets, annuals, perennials, trees, and shrubs. They also have an extensive selection of vegetables, fruit trees, and berry bushes and can also offer helpful advice to make your growing season a success. There's pottery, garden furniture, statuary, and decor from the whimsical to the sublime. Dandelion Acres Garden Center is in Bethel, Vermont. Go to dandelionacres.com for current operating hours and COVID caveats. Chewy, you heard me like a bee. I 
Bumblebee. <laughs> That's the Bumblebee song, and here is Terry. <laughs> hey, Terry. From Springfield. Hey, good afternoon, Joel. Pete. <laughs> Hi there. What's up? Yeah. Uh, this has to do with peonies. How much of an expert are you on peonies? Um, my wife grows them, and I watch. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I have a neighbor that has two two big clumps of peonies that have got to be moved. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, was, was your idea that be that this would be a good time to do it? I do. I think this would be a perfect time. Okay, yep. that's all. I, that's what I want to know because I got to do that in the next few days because they're yep. changing their their yep. concepts. Yeah. Yep. Nope, that would be fine. And make sure you, uh, you know, you cut back a good portion of the, the tops and, and oh, water, them right. in, water them in well before it gets uh, cold so that they have a right. chance. Right. Well, we had a good system. soaking rain down here the other few days ago. Yeah. yeah. Turned things around. I just mowed my lawn or had my lawn mowed down close for the first time all summer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. It's, it's been very spotty. And, yeah. Uh, well, well, good to hear your program as usual. Oh, good. Well, I'm, I, I appreciate that, Terry. So you're Very listening in, in Springfield? Springfield, you're, you're yeah. Right yeah. Okay, good. Great. Uh, yeah, I'm, I guess I, I usually say I'm the southernmost listener on <laughs> AM 550. That's sort of what I was thinking, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Joel knows that. Yeah, that uh, transmitter just points right to your right to your barn there, right? <laughs> Right to the kitchen sink. There you go. That, well, all the pipes. That's what that, that's what the vibrate brings in that 550. Yeah, they're the wonderful transmitters. As long as you got a water water pipeline. Yeah. There you go. I, once I, I I told Ken Squire one time about the last time I saw him. I guess let's get a transmitter down on Mount Escutney. He said we would if you pay get me the money. <laughs> Well, that's that, that, anyway. Uh, good talking to you, and uh, enjoy the wonderful autumn weather we're having. Eighty-six degrees today. <laughs> so, I, it feels warmer than that right down here, but anyway, yeah. I'm enjoying good, it. Is that good much. for? Is that good for growing chestnuts, uh, Terry? Because you're the chestnut man. That's right. Well, I realize that. Uh, yeah, the chestnuts are, are getting bigger. In about another four weeks, they'll be ready to harvest. Right. Excellent. Boy, that, that's great. That's yeah. just super. But uh, anyway, uh, I'll try to remember. Sometimes if I come up that way, I can jump some, drop some off the station. But yeah, uh, that'd be great. I don't know when that will be. Thanks. Anyway, no farm show in January, which is where I've been coming with the chestnut exhibit. But uh, yeah. anyway, uh, uh, we'll find a way to get some up to you guys. All right. Well, well good to see you. That yeah. uh, take care now. You yeah. you be well. Yep. Yeah. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. So we have uh, Wendy in Bristol. Yep. Okay. All right. Great. Hey, Wendy, are you there? I am. All right. What's up? So aside from the companion planting with the garlic and the tomatoes, and yeah. that's actually the name of a very good book on the subject: garlic tomatoes love garlic, but hate onions. Uh, <laughs> okay. You can. Also, use the fact that the sphinx moth, which is the parent of tomato hornworm caterpillars, loves flock. And I have a sacrificial tomato or two that I plant near the flocks, and uh, that's helpful in preventing them from sending tomatoes that you you want to harvest. So... Um, so you plant a specific type of tomato? Is that what you're saying? No, a sacrificial. Sacrificial, tomato. yeah. But it's, so it's it's something that when you're weeding has come up on its own, or if you oh. decide if you started, I mean, you should always start more than you want. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes you're lucky that you actually end up having them all survive until Memorial Day. Mm-hmm. Plant one or two plants near the fox, and yeah, and companion planting for your tomatoes. Oh. It's it's pretty rare for them to to find the tomatoes you don't want yeah. scavenged, and so, they're so big they're easy to pick off and move over to your sacrificial tomato. <laughs> 
the sacrificial volunteer tomato? Well, you know what scapegoat is for, right? Uh, no, what's the scapegoat for? The goats can't run as fast as the sheep. <laughs> so if you had a predator chasing your flock of sheep with a goat there, the predator was going to get the goat, not your more valuable sheep. Now I know. <laughs> I've oh, yeah. often wondered where that was. They... tomato. <laughs> your escape tomato. Well, that's interesting. I had never heard of that one before. And if you're going to plant fox, please make sure it's powdery mildew resistant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, I've, I was hit pretty hard with the powdery mildew today, this year, so. Um, and Break out the baking soda. Exactly, yeah. It's pretty easy to take care of. But, uh, anyway. but I mean, sphinx moths are, are something you can sit in a lawn chair and watch them around dusk for some. Uh -huh. uh -huh. So, how were your tomatoes this year? Were they? Did you have a good crop? Flower to flower. Uh huh. What was that? Say that again. Did we lose Wendy? I'm I'm here, but I lost the last. Sentence that you said. Oh, I uh, I was asking how your tomatoes were this year. That's all. Well, the big important thing on tomatoes is heat. Yeah. And mulch. And we have plenty of that. They they don't like it dry. Yeah. Um, that's when you end up with with your blossom and rye issues. And I also I have hands, so I I put a handful of uh, powdered shell eggshell in with them when I plant them. Yeah, for the calcium. Yeah. Correct. All right. Well, um, thanks for calling in, and I, I, I'll have to look up the sacrificial tomato. <laughs> oh, I don't know if anyone else does it, but. Yeah, I don't know. It sounds like a good idea. <laughs> I love sphinx moths, and if you have the, the place where their babies yeah. are going to, to find nutrition right next to where they're feeding themselves. Yeah, gotcha. It, it's just makes it easier for them. Cool. Well, thanks for the tip. I appreciate it. And uh, let's see. We have a, do we have another call? Yep. Okay, Wendy, uh, we have another call. And uh, thanks for the call, you calling in, and for the tip for all the rest of us. Okay. And so you got Cindy online? Okay, good. Hey, Cindy, what's going on? Hey, hi. Um Good to hear you. I always look forward to um, this show. <laughs> and I have a question. We, um, I grew potatoes this year yep. and dug them all up and everything. So I'm wondering, is there something nice that you could do to the potato patch for wintering over, you know, to make it all healthy for next year? Yeah. Uh, well, in Ed Smith's book, uh, he liked to uh, cover, you know, to mulch with uh, leaves. Yes. Okay. Really oh. okay. For for a real good uh, a real good seed bed for the next year. Oh, so, so at, when the leaves all fall, rake them up and put them on the potato patch. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Oh, Just okay. Pile them up there. Now uh, you may want to um, go ahead and put something like straw to hold it down because a lot oh. of times the leaves will just blow away. Yes, yes. And uh, and you know if you happen to have uh, um, you know some way to chop them up, uh, all the better that they're less likely to blow away and they certainly. Uh, oh, the leaves. The, the, hmm. the, yeah. Well, I guess if they were really dry, you could just rake them and break them, you know, like yeah. if they were dried up enough. But Yeah. Well, like I mentioned before, my wife will use the mower and just mow across them oh. a few times. Oh, okay. So then, yeah, and then they're all shredded up. Hmm? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And nothing, you know, like lime or, you know, anything like well, that? Well, uh, that's the sort of routine, you know. Um, if you want to, you should do a, a soil test. Now, they recommend that you don't use manure if you're going mm. to plant, uh, because mm. that seems to encourage scab. Uh, oh, um, interesting. So, um, yeah. but compost, you can use all the compost you want. Well, I've got a lot of that, yeah. Okay, yep. so that that would be the thing to do is okay. use your compost. compost. And you could put your leaves down and put the compost on top of it if you want. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I was yeah. going to do it the other way around, but now that yep. you say that. Yeah, that'll oh. hold it down. I see. Okay. And help it break down, too. 
Yeah, I've got a lot of bark around here from down trees and stuff. Could mm. lay that on top. Mm. I, bark is a little acidic and it's very slow to break down. I would throw yeah, that true. in my compost pile. I, yeah. I think that would be better there. Okay, and the straw idea, I like. Yeah. You can never go wrong with straw. Nope, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thank you. All right, Cindy, thanks for the call. I appreciate mm-hmm. it. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. And uh, do we need to take a break, or can we talk to Barry? Barry? Okay. Barry, you there? Burlington. I'm here. All right, buddy, what's got, going on? I got two, uh, two questions. The yep. first one is uh, kind of the uh, out-of-season question, but... I've had problems in planting lima beans. For some reason, they don't germinate and grow. Oh boy! And I've tried planting them in the early spring and yep. midsummer and yep. and later on, and yep. and they they just I don't know disappear. They don't germinate. Uh, so, I've, do you have any reason or explanations of I've why that this, might be? I've had the same problem. I I I just can I don't seem to. I finally just gave up, and it's too bad because it is one of my wife's favorites is lima beans. And she asked me to grow them, and I I have just come up with zero. I plant a whole row of them, and, you know, like two come up. And even when they come up, they don't look very good. So either I have the wrong variety or something. Um, so this next uh, year, this next spring, I'm going to try to start them. Um, I know that... Uh, 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 one of the farmers at the farmer's market said that his fava beans, he actually starts them just like he does his tomatoes. So um, I'm going to tr- give that a try. You know, I, it can't hurt anything for sure. The only thing is because they're quick to, usually quick to um, to germinate and grow. So I wouldn't want to do it much before May 1st because they are, uh, they're not really frost hardy. So... You know, you you wouldn't want to have them, you know, growing much more than a a few weeks. You know, so I'm going to give that a try and see if I can. That's get an idea. I did never thought of that one, and because uh, I'm like you, I'm, I'm ready to give up. So. <laughs> well, let's uh, we'll both try it this spring. We'll <laughs> we'll get some cups and and uh, put our our lima beans in there and see if we can't get a nice lima bean crop. <laughs> Very good. Okay. Then then the second item is. Yep. Uh, do you care to uh, say some a few words? We'll say about uh, freezing beets and carrots and beans at this time of year. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's what's on the that's what's on the menu right now is is storing the stuff that you have. Um, the uh, the beets if they're if they're nice beets uh and you have a place you can cold store them that's probably the best way to store them um but other than that usually people can them but if you don't have a setup to can them then the beets and the carrots you'll want to uh cut into sort of you know bite-sized pieces maybe equal 3 quarter by 3 quarter or something about that size uh or even smaller and then uh, blanch them and then freeze them. So, okay. Uh, but and both of them, I you you will have to peel them. You'll have to peel your beets, and uh, um, you have to peel your carrots before. Should you the that. beets be cooked first? Well, they should be peeled first. And, peeled. And then, okay. Yeah, at least that's the way um, uh, one of the books that they said now. Uh, there, there probably are a hundred different ways to do it, and some people will will say, "Well, no, I never, I never cook mine. I always cook mine first. Um, so either way you do it is fine. You know, I don't see any per- particular problem with it. The whole point is to heat them up off, hot enough that they don't have any of the uh, the yeasts on them or any anything else that that's um, uh, you know, it's, it's like par boiling. So you want to par boil them a little bit." So okay. it's a quick boil, you know, in and then in the cold water and then let them dry out. And then, you know, what I do is I like to uh, something like that uh, to avoid having them all sort of clumped together in a, in a, you know, in one big clump. I like to dry them, uh, freeze them on a, a cookie sheet. OK, 
And then uh -huh. once they're all frozen, you can take all that stuff and put it in the bag or put it in the container, whichever you plan to use. And and that way, you know, they won't all be frozen together in a clump because if you put them in wet or even partially wet, they'll just, you know, stick to each other and freeze up. Right. Okay. Yeah, I didn't think of that cookie sheet routine. I do that with my berries. Exactly. I've got to do that with my vegetables. <laughs> yep. Yep. And if you if you don't have if you're doing a lot you don't have enough room you can put a uh, a sheet of the uh, baking paper you know that um, uh, whatever they call that the paper in between each each one and Par stack them up parchment yeah yeah parchment thank you yeah and okay that that should work well for you did you get a good crop of uh, beets this year I finally did yes <laughs> good for you <laughs> <laughs> the chipmunks didn't get them first huh. <laughs> no, no, I, and actually, uh, interesting enough that uh, uh, tomatoes were good this year, yeah. and I got w bought one plant of um, Big Boy, yeah. yeah, and those tomatoes, for some reason, the bugs, worms, whatever, love those them. tomatoes, mm -hmm. and and they, they just fall apart. They're just terrible, but mm. other plants right next door, mm -hmm. you know, yep. aren't affected at all. Yeah. Yeah, I, and that's hard to figure. I, I, you know, and it's different every year. It'll be different every year. But the, uh, um, I tend to go for the Jetstar, which is a little smaller tomato, just because it's, it seems to be hardier and and it ripens, uh, you know, more reliably in our climate. So, anyway, um, Good. Barry, thanks Thank for the call. I'm glad you called, and and let's let's try lima beans next year. See what we can do. <laughs> we'll we'll do, and I look forward to your uh, broadcast next year. All right, we got one more week, and then then it'll be next year. <laughs> Super. All right, keep Thank up the good work. Thank you. Yep, sure. You're welcome. Glad to. And you got Catherine in Moortown. Hey, Catherine. Yep. Hi, Peter. What's going on in Moortown? <clears throat> well, not a whole lot yet. <laughs> but I've been listening to you tell him how to store beets and carrots. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you fellas are old enough, so you know how the old-timers used to do that. <laughs> they put them in sand in the cellar. Exactly. In the corner of the well, cellar that was cold or colder. Yes, I did say the first choice would be the, you know, cold storage. But yeah. I find that the sand, now I don't know, you, you tell me. but No, I, I haven't that, ever done it. I've just listened oh. to them and it makes sense to me. Well, but the sand is so heavy. I mean, mine is in my basement and if you get a five-gallon bucket of sand is so heavy, it's just, you know, it's terrible <laughs> going downstairs. I'm all, I'm all, I'll talk, not do, because I used <laughs> well. to can them. I didn't ever freeze them. I had a neighbor that used to freeze beets. Yeah. But I always canned them and made pickled beets yeah, in their sweet exactly, beets. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if they've got very many, that's what they should do. Just get over it and do it the way you should. <laughs> well, now, when you can the beets, uh, you know, well, I used don't to you? Pickle them. Oh, okay. Well, if you pickle them, then you can water bath them. But if you're yep. just canning them, you've got to do the pressure cooker. Yeah, generally so. you use the pressure cooker. Yeah. Yep. The only thing is, you got to be careful because you don't want to mush. <laughs> I mean, you got to pay attention. Yep. And yep. you got to have your heart in it. Yep. That's you know you can't go at it with an a can't do attitude. Yeah. Yep. 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 For sure. All well, right. uh, yeah, the carrots and the beets they do store well in in cool basements. You know, it doesn't even have to really be forty degrees. That's right. And yeah, the other right. thing that that I like to remind people, if you have an old uh, refrigerator. You know, a lot of people yeah, have a yeah. beer refrigerator somewhere yeah. in the, and uh, you know, use a use that for your cold storage. That mm, works that very sense. well. Sure yeah. makes sense. If you have that, um, I loved what you said about your wife liking lima beans. That's one of her favorites. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> Is that right? Yes, I, I never tried to grow them. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been a real mystery to me. Every time I've tried to grow them, I I just it's like I'm doing something wrong, and I just can't figure out what. I mean, I grow every other kind of bean, and they they grow well. You're right. You know, but they the, take right off. The limas are just uh, you know. 
Well, yep. anyway. We're going to keep... miss you fellas when you, <laughs> you know, all winter we got to fend for ourselves. Well, it's, it's true it's for me reminding too. reminding us to bring our plants in though. Yeah, yep. That's... Especially poinsettia. Now the poinsettia likes this time of year because you put it in a cool room. Yeah. That's dark. Yeah. Doesn't have a whole lot of light. Yeah. It, it'll be surprising to you. And is it gonna is it gonna drop all its leaves or and go? No, down? no, 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 no. It'll come. It'll come to life in in mm. December, end of mm. of November and early December. It'll be beautiful. Yeah. And you'll think you're the smartest person in town. <laughs> well, I I leave that one for my wife too. Uh, she, well, she does love the flowers. It. She'll know just what I'm talking about. She does. Yeah. yeah. She always managed to pull one. Uh, uh, well, particularly in her office, which is more like a jungle than an office. But yeah, yeah. Well, most of ours are. <laughs> but they're dark at night and they're cool. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what they love in this time mm. of year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's okay, that's something it to look here, for. Peter. <laughs> All right, Catherine. Thanks Free for the call. Free advice is worth just what you paid for. <laughs> well, thanks. Just the same. You definitely deserve a yeah. big thank right. you. I appreciate it. Take care now. And I guess we can take our break now, huh? In decades past, you opened a business, hung out your shingle, and the customers came. Today, hanging out your shingle means creating an engaging website. The modern consumer is using the Internet to find businesses like yours. Are you positioned so you'll rise to the top of their search? Let the Radio Vermont Group Digital Services work with you to make sure you're visible online and to target your marketing to location, demographic, and interest. Learn more at rvgdigital.com. Ain't nothing in the world that I like better than bacon and lettuce and homegrown tomatoes. Up in the morning and out in the garden, get your ripe ones, don't get a hard Plant them in the spring, eat them in the summer, all winter without them, it's a culinary bummer. I forgot all about the sweating and the digging, every time I go out and pick me a biggin'. <laughs> every time I go out and pick me a biggin'. <laughs> we, ought to, we ought to just sing along with that one. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> You have a caller. So you got Claudia from Montpelier. Hi, welcome. What's going on? Well, I finally broke down and spent some money and bought a couple of uh, Mandeville flowering baskets. Okay. And I would love to overwinter those. Do I overwinter them, or do I take cuttings? And if I take cuttings, do I root them in water, um, or do I dip them in rooting hormone and then put them in soil? And uh, just go back. Uh, it's uh, what? What's the flower in the basket? Uh, Mandeville. Ah. Uh, it's kind of like a trumpety. It's like a what? It's a, a trumpet type flower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're awful pretty. What color are they? I got one pink and one white. Hmm. Nice. I'm actually not sure. I'm sorry, Claudia. I, I I don't know how those overwinter, but um, are they starting to die back right now? Well, they're. Or are I they think going they just out there? You know how when things think they're coming to an end, they like go crazy with the blooming. Yeah, yeah. And they've just done that, so I'm anticipating that they're going uh, to start to go dormant pretty soon. So I thought the time is about right, and I'm. Seeing mums and getting itchy to replace them with the fall mums. So, <laughs> yeah, the mums are really pretty right now. The, they're all over. Everybody has them. There's a place on Route Two going into Plainfield, and he's got like a whole lawn just full of them. And then so yep. they're they're at the you know the hardware store, and everybody has them. And they look beautiful. Okay, so, well, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, let me. If you can listen next week, I'll look it up and find out what how you would overwinter those. Now, basically, most of the things that you overwinter, you know, you'll let them go dormant. And uh, but some things you would actually bring in and find a place to hang them and let them grow right through. And some of them will will grow right through the the winter. You know, if they mm-hmm. have enough light and enough water, but it's sort of uh, an inconvenience to have a hanging plot, 
uh, plant, you know, inside the house sometimes if you don't have mm-hmm. a good spot for it. So, um, you know, I'll find out if they have a tuber. If they have a tuber, then then that's what I would do. I'd, I'd pull out the tubers, put them in a cool spot, and then replant them the next, you know, the next spring. Um, okay, great. If if not, then uh, this, you know, then you try to keep growing them. And uh, but I don't know exactly, and I'll find out. Okay, I'll listen next week. All right, thanks, Claudia. Okay. I appreciate it. And we'll see what we can do. And we have Nola. Nola, yes, yes. <laughs> I think so. I think so. I think so. Here we um, we're we're here, but long. we're not all there. <laughs> two little things to share. One has to do with plants and how amazing they are. Yeah. I believe I shared with you guys, we tilled the greenhouse thoroughly yeah. and completely yep. this spring. Yep. You know, to keep the grasshoppers down. They are back, but they're not bad. And that was that. And I've been planting and harvesting and planting and harvesting. And I noticed about a month ago, oh, tomato plants. Where did you come from? I had nothing to do with this. And <laughs> behind one of my planting benches were some little tomato plants, yeah. which as of yesterday were huge. And I thought, ah, oh, we got to take those down. So I went in this morning with pruning shears, mm-hmm. and just as I bent over, I heard all these little voices, Wait, stop! Wait, stop! Wait, stop! <laughs> there were hundreds and hundreds of cherry tomatoes. <laughs> and, you know, I gave this plant no care. I had nothing to do with it, but there they were, just growing away, and I picked hundreds and hundreds of these mm. little Mexican midget cherry tomatoes. Isn't that wonderful? So as hard as we try to make it perfect, mm-hmm. They know what they're doing. They know what they're doing, yeah. I, you know, and that goes, and I've mentioned this any number of times, when Richard Wiswall was, was talking to my wife, she was worried about something, and he just says to her, Deb, you know, they want to grow. <laughs> you know? Yes, they want to grow. They want to, they do. And so having said that, I will mm-hmm. close by saying we've I've mentioned our beaver, it's not our beaver pond, it's the mm-hmm. beaver's beaver pond. Mm-hmm. And the walk we take there has many trees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? It's in the middle of the woods. Of course. And there's the Bill Withers Lean on Me Ash Tree. <laughs> and there's the Nancy Sinatra Stiletta Yellow Birch Tree. Mm-hmm. But as of yesterday, there's now the Joel and Peter Tree. Mm, and I'm going to take a picture, but you guys should really come up and take a hike and see. It's two trees. One of them's talking its mouth off, and the other's standing there like, will you please shut up? <laughs> You've got to come and meet these two. Um, so that's you guys out there in the woods. And they're right at the top of a little hill just saying, nice job. You made it to the top of the hill. So you guys are doing a great job, doing a nice job. And next week we'll have the Ripton Tabernacle Choir ready to sing the final garden song. All right, great. I look forward to it. The Joel and Peter tree, huh? The Joel and Peter trees, trees too. (laughs) Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks, Nola. Oh, my goodness. Well, uh, boy, this hour went quickly. <laughs> it went very quickly, and we've had these wonderful people call and and uh, and a bunch of people listening, which I really appreciate. Um, and we will see you next week in the garden, right? Joel? Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, absolutely. All right, good. Inch by inch, row by row, gonna make this garden grow. All it takes is a rake and a hoe and a piece of fertile ground. Inch by inch, row by row, someone bless these seeds I sow. Someone warm them from below till the rain comes tumbling down. In the Garden has been brought to you by The Willie Store, family owned since 1900 in Greensboro. By Poly Construction on Gregory Drive in South Burlington, where one call does it all. By Montpelier Agway, your locally owned Montpelier Agway on East Montpelier Road. 
by Menard's family-owned True Value Store on Brooklyn Street in Morrisville, by Clausen's Florist Greenhouse and Perennial Farm in Colchester, top-quality Vermont-grown plants since 1972, by V's Flowers and Garden Shop, flowers, hanging baskets, annuals, houseplants, potting supplies, and more in Waitfield. By Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's largest independent home center. Sticksandstuff.com online. There you'll find store locations and hours. By PR Lumber, Route 15 in Walcott. PR Lumber. For family milled lumber for all your projects. Check out PR Lumber on Facebook. By Guy's Farm and Yard with four locations to serve you. If it eats and grows, guys can feed it. Guysfarmandyard.com. By Dandelion Acres Garden Center in Bethel. Online at dandelionacres.com. Be sure to join us next Saturday at 1230 during the noon hour for In the Garden with Peter Burke. Someone blessed these seeds I sow. Someone warmed them from below. Till the rain comes tumbling down. Till the rain comes tumbling down. Inch by inch, row by row.